once coaches found little by little sometimes big uh big enlightenment or ahas but sometimes little by little to turn the focus around and embrace the whole world and not just have it contracted in the ego uh life became fascinating and 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 getting clients into your practice became a lot of fun and they didn't learn so much about themselves as they learned to lose themselves in the work. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Coaching Life Podcast, where we peel back the crap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. So here we are at um, episode 80 <clears throat> and if you've listened to at least a few of these conversations you may have noticed one name in particular has been mentioned repeatedly and uh, it was a very happy accident that I came across him and his work, his ethos, um, in 2013, and I know it's a phrase. I, it's a phrase that's used oh so often. I'm chuckling really because it, it feels like the words I'm about to say are pretty feeble to convey what it is I want to convey. But like this man, his work has changed my life, and I know there are thousands like me, and that's why he get, has been mentioned so many times on this podcast. I find myself referring to him, certainly in my work, uh, or something I've learned from him pretty much every day actually, such as the breadth and depth of um, the impact of all that he has been teaching that I've learned from him. He has had an impact on so many people's lives, both directly and indirectly, um, with the work that he's done um, working with other coaches. You know, those ripples are continuing out into the world. They're ripples of generosity, humor, humility, and love. And um, yeah, I, I had this thought really, can I call this podcast the Coaching Life Podcast without having uh, the godfather of coaching on it? So um, <laughs> uh, I'm so grateful for you, Steve. Steve Chandler, welcome to the Coaching Life Podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Phil. I'm very honored to be here. I was hoping I'd make the top 80 coaches on your list. <laughs> I barely got in. Uh, so thank you for having me. Uh, and so, so happy to have you here. So as, as I said, before we started recording, you know, you shared so much of your story already in whatever it is, it's well over 30 books, I guess now, isn't it? Um, and you know, I, I've heard you describe in, in those books, um, early parts of your life, you've described them perhaps as, um, as a, as a drunk, as a failure, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, you've kind of blown out of the water my normal questions, really, because my usual questions for my guests, because you have revealed much of your life in those books. Um, and I can't encourage coaches enough to, to look into your work. But actually, you know where I'm going to, I want to start with that writing, because it looks like, yes, you're prolific. So what is it about writing in particular that you, that you love? Well, I think uh, when I was younger, I, I had a fear of other people and a fear of social interaction. And, um, and I had a love of reading and poetry 
And so I used to write notes and letters instead of talking to people. It was kind of a way, a workaround for someone who had extreme social anxiety and fear of others and inability to communicate really well. And so I developed it early as a compensation for uh, a what what at the time was kind of uh, anxiety or a psychological defect. And so I, I developed a love of writing and reading and I would um, sit in my room alone and read and I had a few uh, close friends who also loved to read and write. We'd send each other letters even though we only lived a block away. And so, so it kind of developed early as a way of expressing myself without having to actually be with another human being. And um, that's where it came from, I believe, if I look back. And then as I got older, uh, I went into different jobs that uh, rewarded writing, like uh, advertising, copywriting, journalism. I was in for a long time. And five years in songwriting. I was a lyric writer. Uh, so everything had to do with writing, uh, leading into accidentally falling into the coaching profession when all else had failed. Yeah, um, beautiful. You get just like, again, I hear my clients say things and I hear your voice in, in, um, in my head. And, and, and of course I'm going to be paraphrasing because um, we've not done anything in, in person. I went through your ACS actually in 2014. I think that was probably up to then you'd called it was the coaching prosperity school. I think, I don't know whether yes. this was the first time you'd called it ACS. And I really loved that name, by the way, just the focus there on the client. And I see, you know, other coaching programs out there that seem to have you want to focus on who you are as a, as a coach. And if I, if I summarize, if I summarize perhaps my biggest takeaway from your work, it's definitely um, getting over myself and that shift of focus from me, getting myself out of the classroom and all that I, I, I stuff and getting into the client's world. That's a, that's a, it looks like a massive shift, but that's so much more fun, I have to say, right? I mean, who, nobody really enjoys themselves looking at their own shortcomings and what have you, really. What excites me about this work is what's possible in the client's world, right? That's why we do this. I would love to hear you speak a little bit about that ACS, because I think there's been, um, is it nine or 10 version of the ACS, even after the coaching prosperity school, but how did that come about? But also I know you are big on constantly learning. I see that even in your later writing, right? Um, I would, I would love to hear from you. What have you learned from running that school and running the ACS? Well, I learned a lot about um, seeing myself in my early years in the coaches who came in and seeing their fears, their, their money fears, their um, fears of, am I enough? Am I worthy? And like you just said, Phil, it's exactly correct. Uh, the spotlight was always on them. Am I good enough? Am I worthy? Uh, it, can I coach someone more successful than I am out in the world? 
without feeling intimidated, feeling like a an imposter. And but but all of that, all of the trouble a coach would have would be self-focus, uh, self-consciousness, and with with the uh, with the camera pointed inward. And when we could turn the camera around and look at the client's world uh, with compassion, understanding, and tremendous curiosity, the the sense of self would disappear, and there'd be a new motivation called "Can I help? Uh, would I be able to assist you in any way?" And um, and that that a right practice of compassion and understanding. Uh, became exciting for the coaches. That was the central theme of our whole program, as you know, in the ACS was um, be with your client, understand your client, learn to listen. And and then watching what I learned was um, this could be learned by anybody. It, it is you don't have a compassionate personality or there isn't anything permanent in people, although they're brought up to believe that their identity, character flaws, personality traits are permanent. That's just the way I roll. That's who I am. That's what I'm like. And um, once coaches found little by little, sometimes big, uh, big enlightenment or ahas, but sometimes little by little, to turn the focus around, embrace the whole world and not just have it contracted in the ego, uh, life became fascinating and, and, and getting clients into your practice became a lot of fun. And they didn't learn so much about themselves as they learned to lose themselves in the work and how liberating that was. And the, the very fact people do change tremendously, radically, uh, and are always open to change. There's infinite creativity in who we can be, not just little tiny channel of creativity in what we can do, but who we can be. And uh, that's what I learned was how learnable, how teachable this was. Uh, that was exciting for me because I thought I got lucky because I had a powerful coach who worked with me and I was a real project. I mean, I was like... the. Um, if he could do it with me, he could do it with anybody. He knew that I was like his uh, patient zero, you know, it was like this. And so if it can happen with me, it can happen with anyone. And then, and, and I believed that my, I wrote a couple books about that when I, when it happened for me, like reinventing yourself. Yeah. Which is a but, wonderful book. Still one of my favorite books. You. Yeah. Yeah. And that was all about what occurred for me. Uh, being coached and people can change and not only that they can change every day it's not just one change now I'm good and so that's the learning mindset that I saw coaches in our group from all over the world people like you uh, they could learn this it was teachable it was doable and it was exciting yeah, thank you. We'll go back because you touched on, you know, you turning your life around. As I said, you've written about it extensively. But I'm wondering, what was it, do you think, originally? What was going on for you originally that you know, drove you to 
escape? What what was going on in life that you wanted to escape from? That had you use alcohol in the in the way that you did? You know, uh, it's a like Hank Williams Jr. sings. It was a family tradition. Uh, both parents were. I had two alcoholic parents, which is as many as you can have at any one time. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we, I grew up in a, a tradition of it. And I idolized my father and he was a very heavy drinker, but he was also a very successful man out in the world. And I just thought it was glamorous and exciting. And it was a way to deal with my fear of life. Uh, somehow it, it gave me what they call false courage. And I could go to parties and I could talk to people and play my guitar if I had enough drinks and uh, it was it was kind of a it was false false spirit false courage and it had a terrible downside uh, alcoholism and hangovers and horrible mess of life so it had a horrific downside that I was lucky to escape from and when I went through recovery process I was able to, I got really lucky because a lot of people predicted I wouldn't live past the age of 35, given the reckless life I was living. But I I had a sponsor in my recovery program who convinced me that the spirit I was looking for, the inner peace and courage I was looking for in alcohol and drugs uh, was available in in ways that are more beautiful, sustainable, and real. And uh, that was just a false trail. I was seeking, but I was going down the wrong path. And uh, that was the big breakthrough for me, was I didn't need that stuff. And it was available uh, right there with the air you breathe. And uh, it was in all these beautiful spiritual books I never would have dreamed of reading uh, when I was younger and drinking. So so that was the big turnaround in my life, uh, was finding out that there was spirituality, creativity, um, available in life. And it came in a more pure form uh, without the drugs and alcohol. Yeah, thank you for that. I'm going to come back to that whole thing around peace, actually, because um, I noticed uh, it's just what I perceive. It may maybe it was there all along, all along with you, Steve. But an interest in um, like the three principles and whatever, which I talk about a bit on this podcast. But I'd like to come back to that. Please don't let me forget. I know you're not the host here, but. Um, you know, that whole thing around addiction, by the way, I'm kind of wondering, do you think there are any less visible? I mean, of course, I mean, very often for many people that, that addiction to alcohol and drugs is not visible to others. But do you, do you think there are, are um, other addictions that people have, particularly, let's talk about actually, let's make it about coaches, right? Um, uh, what would you describe those addiction as, as that coaches have that are, that are unhelpful? Well, there um, you can call it an addiction. That's kind of fun. It, it wakes people up. I don't. But there's there in these days, especially <clears throat> in our modern times. <clears throat> excuse me. 
Oh, there's an addiction to distraction. There's an addiction to um, the flow of outside information coming in over the phone, over the computer, the binge-watching um, Netflix series. And there's an addiction to um, getting out of my head and, and um, being distracted and occupied by things outside of me and never looking within and the fear of looking within <clears throat> it was parallel to my my fear of even being alive in the world and growing up and dealing with grown-ups so i think for coaches um there's an addiction to distraction to uh, all the latest information and if i could learn enough or i could get the secret if I can learn all the secrets to becoming prosperous, uh, and if I'm not prosperous, I'm not financially sound, that means I need more information. And so I read the latest book and, and join the latest group, and it's got to be information. It can't, it can't be internal shifting. Uh, it has to be information. So there's a, a kind of addiction in that direction that I see coaches... Uh, chasing all these paths of uh, must be this, it must be that. And it's always looking outside. So there's an addiction to trying to find happiness and peace, like you mentioned, out there um, in the material world, in a relationship or in uh, money or success or, or um, appreciation, praise, uh, things like that addiction to being noticed how how many likes did my post get oh yeah uh, and, and things like that i need outside confirmation that uh life is good and i'm okay so so that that's if i had to look for a common addiction to coaches i think that would be the first one i would look at yeah, again, as I touched on it already, and there's a, obviously the theme there. Like I say, it's probably the biggest thing I got from you and your work is is looking away from like me and and focusing much more on on the client. And that you know that coaching now actually just feels so easy. I rarely use the the c word actually coaching, but um, it just feels so easy to me because I just get to be present with people that I love. And, uh, you know, it reminds me of another phrase that, gosh, I probably mentioned this at least once a week um, that you said that really struck me during ACS. It was something like you said that curiosity is an expression of love. Like curiosity is love. And um, gosh, I, that, like I say, I mentioned that probably in, in so many conversations. Um, just that that alone, I think anybody listening to this, if you if you take one nugget away, that curiosity is love. Now go and love your clients. That to me makes such a such a huge difference. Such a huge difference. And we don't have to be curious about ourselves. Oh, what could I have done differently? What did I do there? I, I, I. But you know, curiosity to me looks like a very natural thing, as you touched on. Like we when we when we're not listening to these fears we have about ourselves or should i ask steve this or not um you know it's it's curiosity is just what's there right yeah it's just what's there yeah it's a, it's a form of uh a sense of wonder mm. um and and we un 
unobstructed by our own uh, self-critical, fearful thoughts. So, so thought falls away in, in a really loving moment when, when you're just present with another person, wondering what their belief system is like, wondering where their suffering comes from, uh, wondering how they see the world. And it's like a good doctor. Um, a good doctor, when you go in to see him or her, is uh, so powerfully curious. Tell me what's going... First question, tell me what's going on. The, they don't say, let me tell you a little bit about me. Uh, I went to I went to Cornell. I have a, I do this. I'm good at that. Uh, I've been recently awarded by the Medical Association top bedside manner. And uh, there's never with a good doctor, never, never any of that. It's uh, what's going on with you. And um, when does that happen? And does that happen when you're when you lie down? Do you still feel it that way? And the, the question after question after question. And then, uh, and then there's um, another element of a good doctor is not knowing the solution right away. Like, I, I have a few guesses on what's going on with you. Let, we're going to try a little protocol to see, if, to see if that will help you. And if it doesn't, come back in, call me. We'll look at something else. But this is where we'll go to begin with. And we're going to run some tests and do this. So... Um, a coach can take that same approach and have every client every day every session be infinitely different because mm -hmm. i have some coaches say i'm getting tired of coaching i'm doing the same old same old and uh that tells me right away that they have a they have a, an agenda that they bring to the session and try to superimpose on the client uh, without really learning what's going on with the client. And so when they learn to turn that around, their work gets more exciting. Yeah, yeah. I love that. I, I can't imagine being bored with coaching. Just like That's like saying, oh, I'm just bored of people or I'm bored of life. I don't know. Um, I kind of, um, so I'm curious, Steve. Um, when you look back, you've been coached extensively. You have a, a lifetime agreement with Steve Hardison. I'd love to know if you're willing to share. What does that mean, a lifetime agreement? So uh, that's the first part of the question. And secondly is, does anything jump out when you look back that has surprised you that he's helped you see about yourself? Uh, so many things, so many things. The basic thing he saw was that he kept saying, there isn't anything that I do or talk about that you can't do. Um, and, and your potential and your creativity are infinite, not unique to you, but infinite all the same. And uh, so his work was to the big surprise. And I wrote about it in the last book I wrote called Creator about creativity. The biggest surprise was that creativity um, is, is actually life itself. It is infinite and it is life itself. And um, it can be applied to everything. 
and not just that you're a little narrow like i play the guitar or i write songs that's my tiny little zone of genius like people say they all have little tiny zones of genius that other people don't understand and that's my little zone of genius the rest of me is just a, a, a suffering person trying to get through life but my little zone of genius i love it it's <laughs> people don't know about it it's my little secret thing and i i i paint little eggs uh at night <laughs> but but what he saw in every problem i brought into the session he would never say talk about the problem as if the problem had power had all the power and we need like it was some kind of bomb that was still in the ground after the war and and we had to uh defuse it carefully or it would just blow us all up he would see the problem as absolutely neutral and he would see the solution as my own creativity and he would he would listen to my problem as i i would try to advocate for how much power uh malignant uh, power was in the problem and he would uh, listen patiently and redescribe the problem in neutral terms like it's a simple situation and he would say given the situation what would you like to create he would never ask how do, how do you think we should solve this problem or are you ready to hear my prescription as your superior coach for solving your your problem little man uh he would never talk about it that way he would always talk about given this situation what would you like to create that once created would have this be irrelevant to you mm. or even have it uh disappear and over the years 20 years of working with him over and over you ask that question enough times and if i <laughs> Uh, don't oppose the question in my head, like, what are you talking about? Uh, it starts to drop in that um, the solution is my own innate, infinite creativity. And it's not really my own, but it's uh, it, it can live through me if I open to it. And so all of our solutions were uh, created. They weren't... Um, uh, a clever way of dealing with or coping with these threatening powers outside us called other people bill collectors and situations yeah yeah beautiful that was the big surprise that and that surprise kept repeating over and over such I mean, an empowering yeah such an empowering way yeah. if we want to use that time really to to, to look at many perceived problem um you know so i was fortunate enough to spend a little bit of time with steve he was very generous and gracious in that um a few years ago 2015 i think and i and of course we we, we met him um he came and spoke to us during acs and i was very very impacted by by that this man um there's a, a, such a like a laser focus to this guy's love and we could describe that as intensity but what that's had me reflect on is for some people that could be too intense 
Um, so I wonder if you could speak to that. I'm not sure I really have a question. I'm really just curious whether you have a comment about that, really about like the intensity of coaching. And it's one beautiful thing about this expression is that about this profession, sorry, is that, you know, there's a, there is a coach for everybody. Um, yeah. But yeah, that intensity, the intensity of love, the intensity of focus. And yet there's also to me, this like, it's not really a conflict because it just it doesn't feel as a conflict. I, I, it's an observation that I make that sometimes I notice. Yeah, this intensity of love, but also of kind of relaxing, chilling. Okay, I'm listening to wisdom. So I, I'm, I'm not sure I have a question, but is there, could you speak just to that? Yes, uh, he does have extraordinary intensity and energy, and it is. And a lot of people it's too much for them they misinterpret it or they're um it's frightening it's so intense and when you fortunately i i had gotten to know him before he was my coach he was inside a company i was in and i'd gotten to know him quite well and i saw that his intensity was um loving it was tough love yeah it was it wasn't um, judgmental or demeaning or criticizing, and uh, and he used to say to me, I I put no one on this planet. I don't put anyone above me, and I don't put anyone below me, ever. I never do that. And mm -hmm. it wasn't just like a a motto or a philosophical slogan. It was really true. And so the intensity came from um, his love of the possibility he saw in me, and I got that. So I wasn't afraid of it. Um, sometimes I was, and I would ask him, could you please uh, speak a little more softly? Because he'd, he'd get up in the, in the office <laughs> and start waving his hands and pacing and yelling and you know, he'd get so excited, and I, I'd say, that's hard for me. My father used to shout at me when he was angry when I was a child, and it was terrifying. And somehow that's not out of my memory system yet, so I, uh, um, that activates um, emotions in me that, that make it harder for me to hear what you're saying. And he said, oh, okay, and uh, he said, let's make an agreement. Um, I'll agree that uh, I won't raise my voice when I work with you from now on. And uh, I hope you'll hold me accountable to that. And I'll do my best to hold myself accountable to that. And so from that moment on, I could see he wanted to yell and I could see him take a breath and speak it very softly. So, um, yeah, the intensity's there. It's extraordinary. Mm -hmm. and uh, But it's all in favor of the client. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it looks arrogant. He'll talk about himself, the things he's been able to do with other clients. But it isn't from ego. It's from a sense of wonder. Like, I was amazed by, by what I was <laughs> able to do with this client this morning. Can I tell you about it? It, But it wasn't bragging. It was uh, a sense of being apart from himself, you know, being in mm -hmm. big mind or 
uh, being in consciousness itself instead of ego and and just experiencing himself with the same sense of wonder and love that he experiences everyone else and um, so it's hard. some people have gone running in the other direction when they meet him they they really it's like I don't need this in my life but most people pick up on his uh, the love he really feels for people mm. yeah and I can I absolutely can vouch for that it's an experience like no other yeah absolutely and that's a really a really really useful distinction for you to point out what occurs to me listening to that is that if i'm if i'm looking through the filter of ego um you know it's a uh, gosh i can't think of the line but there's a line in a course in miracles which is suggesting you know that uh i uh it, it's only ever my ego that's judging another so uh of course if i if i'm looking at somebody and and thinking well that's quite egotistic that is my judgment in a way that's my ego and it's really in allowing that to fall away that we get to see what's behind that to see that love that steve just emanates emanates in the world yeah, yeah. um so steve yeah your willingness to learn and uh, so I'm curious, what's your story around, you know, the three principles? I know that uh, you, I noticed you wished uh, uh, another mentor of mine, uh, Dickens, somebody else who's, who's, whose work has impacted me, wished him a happy birthday recently. And uh, yeah, the three principles, what, what's your story around, around that? And is it, is it something that's recent or has it always been there? And, and what have you, what is it that you've seen anew, if anything? Well, um, I, before anyone was talking about the three principles, um, I used to listen to George Pransky audios hmm. when I drove around and I found out about him from Colin Wilson who is a kind of obscure British philosopher. And I just became fascinated with his books. He wrote 60 books and I was reading them all the time. And uh, he gave me, he was so optimistic and that the other intellectual philosophers uh, banished him from academia and from intellectual respect because he was optimistic and he was uh, a happy man and talked about potential and one of his my favorite lines of his is we don't wake up in one world every morning we'll wake up in a thousand possible worlds and um and Colin Wilson in one of his books he said there is an obscure a uh, psychologist in America no one's ever heard of named George Pransky. And he learned something from a guy, a layman by the name of Sid Banks. And what he learned from Sid Banks is so profound and what my books have been trying to say for so many years. And, uh, and I thought, who is this guy? And I couldn't find him. He didn't have a high profile. And I finally found uh, a person who was selling uh, selling Colin Wilson audios, and I found I could get some George Pransky audios. So I drove around listening to those all the time. 
Never was there a mention of the three principles in his audios. It was all about state of mind and mood and uh, thought and uh, how to work with people, how to work with companies, how to help people in companies. And I was doing a lot of corporate training, so I was learning so much from this guy. And, um, and I, my friend Michael Neal was a client of mine at the time. And he was having a difficult time in his relationship with his wife. And I sent him a George Pransky book, The Relationship Handbook. And um, Michael became so enraptured that he went up and learned from George and became a three principles uh, teacher. And I said, what are you talking about the three principles? I don't know what you mean. And I, I and then I saw it was really a growing thing. And I, I could not understand it. I didn't know what, what it was. And everyone I would ask, I would say, what are the, what do you, what are, what are you talking about? <laughs> and they'd say, well, mind. And I said, what, what do you mean by mind? Well, kind of universal mind. Mind is what gives us uh, our whole experience of life. I said, okay, so thought. Oh, thought is, that's the missing link. That's what gives us our experience of life. Okay, well then what's consciousness? Oh, consciousness is, is uh, behind everything and it's what gives us our experience of life. I said, I'm not hearing a big difference here. And, uh, and I said, I, I understand this even less. And so my, I started searching again. Uh, this, this was about 10 years after I loved George Pransky. So I started watching YouTubes and uh, I, I got to figure this out. I, I do not, I don't get it. And so uh, I hired Dickon to, I said, can you, can you help me understand? And he said, sure. So we did a bunch of Skype sessions where he mentored me. And uh, then I did program with him, uh, eight month program, we went up to his house and, uh, and I finally, uh, and I worked with Dr. Mark Howard and Amy Johnson became a favorite of mine. And she and I did some things together here in Michigan. And finally, I, I saw what it was and I saw how beautiful it was and how user friendly it was, how um, a three principles coach had a way of um, showing someone their inner wisdom, their spiritual nature in one conversation. Whereas other coaches from other modalities like University of Santa Monica, spiritual psychology teachers were teaching the same thing, but it took them years and hours and hours and hours to uh, for the penny to drop with people. Uh, but with three, the really skilled three principles mentors, teachers, they could talk to someone who had never read a spiritual book, uh, didn't know about psychology, philosophy, spirituality, and, and have them receive these insights immediately into their true nature. Uh, they didn't need 10,000 hours of meditation to finally see their true nature. It was happening in gentle conversations. And so I became a, I'll just call it a, a huge fan 
of the way certain three principles teachers were were uh, working with people. I learned so much from that. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. And, and I agree. I agree with everything you said there. Uh, it's the um, it was beautiful, really, how Sid was able to describe that. That's a spiritual, what he's pointed to spiritually there that thousands of teachers have pointed to, but there's this real simplicity. And I love that term, user-friendly. Thank you for that. I'm stealing that one again. Um, I once heard you say, I don't know if it was uh, in person when we were talking in a, in a group or on an audio, but um, somebody asked you, I think, you know, like, how would you like to be remembered? And you kind of balked at the idea and suggested that that was kind of like what could be more self-obsessive than even wanting to be remembered. Um, and I was really amused by that because I, I could I, I could get like the underlying message behind that. I don't want to go through life perhaps obsessing over how I'm going to be remembered. But what I am curious about, and if you want to speak more to that, that's great. I'll bring it on. Please bring it on. But I'm curious about really what would you like people to take away from from your work into their lives? Well, um, hope and realization that um, anything limiting, negative, um, anything self-shaming is uh, not necessary to live with. And um, I want them to take away not a, um, a memory of me, like he taught me this, he was amazing. I want it to be a, um, an awakening to themselves. And even better if they forget where they learned it. Um, unless it would be helpful to hand somebody's book and say, hey, I learned it here. But that's, that's the only thing that really matters is... Uh, have you have has my work been able to help some people see what's possible how life can really be lived instead of what they're believing they believe they're a character in the in a play and they don't realize they're the person playing the character it's uh, rupert spira who is a spiritual teacher that i really love and um, he talked, he uses that metaphor that um, King Lear can't change who he is. Uh, he's every night on stage, he's King Lear. But the person playing King Lear has infinite change available to him. He can play King Lear, he can play Ratso in Midnight Cowboy, he can play all kinds of parts. And when you wake up to the in, infinite possibility of who you can be, that's what uh, I hope my work has really awakened people to. Yeah. I think we're good for that, for sure. You know, you also remind me of a distinction um, that you I've heard you speaking about many times, um, professional versus social. 
because you know I, I recognized and there was something about this actually steve i only got the penny only really dropped relatively recently because i had been grappling with this um not obsessively i don't think but it would just come up and I'm like, yeah okay um and i realized that i my confusion was actually relating to the difference between personal and social so i've realized that of course i can be professional and in this work i share much of per, many as you have done many personal stories and i was kind of, there was okay maybe i'm really am the only person that's misunderstood this but i'll i'll risk it it doesn't matter if i am but uh, i i i just had this confusion that okay so should i not be sharing these personal aspects of me as part of this distinction between what's professional and social and yet the penny really dropped of that like of course i'm willing to share actually anything personal uh, there's also a distinction between personal and private but there is that piece around just being professional i'm in a professional conversation and i remember carolyn freya jones really kicked my ass actually during acs about stepping into becoming professionals you're like come on phil when are you going to step into being pro come on i remember that and that really impacted me just a stepping into like that way of being professional rather than just the kind of social casual way and actually i probably share more of me the personal aspects of me in my personal in my professional life than i ever have so could you speak to that yeah 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 that's the fault of the teacher not your fault. <laughs> uh, to not make that clear enough uh so so the the, the utility of that distinction for coaches the usefulness is um, based on the fact that coaching is a very new profession in the world. And um, for it to have the respect with clients and for it to be treated properly and with simplicity, like um, we are that honors the practice of coaching, um, that has to be created by the coach. We start our sessions on time. Um, your fee gives you access to my work. I have, and, and all these things that in other professions are done for you. So if you're a lawyer, you're a great lawyer, um, your law firm has billable hours and there's, and clients pay that and there are standards of conduct for lawyers and they learn from the other lawyers we do this we don't do that so lawyers doctors accountants uh, um, house painters people who do lawn care plumbers they have a profession in which standards for um, good performance of that profession are pre-existing and they learn them in coaching it is such a new and wildly creative uh, profession one coach will will charge you a uh, hundred dollars for an hour with her and another will charge you a thousand for an hour with her and so this doesn't normally occur in other professions one coach will 
uh, coach you all day long in a one-day session. One coach will... Uh, I had a friend who only did 15-minute <laughs> sessions. And so, so it's so all over the place that coaches fall into this um, social self. And they, they think it's all about me and whether people like spending time with me. And uh, how do I talk to people about my fees? And how do I tell them I'm a coach? That doesn't occur in any other profession. You have to um, have a picture of the professional self you want to be and create for people. It reassures your client. It's a service to the client. And when you lapse into um, social self uh, in the performance of your service, uh, it gets confusing for clients, gets confusing for you. It increases the uh, superstition, the, the mistaken idea that this is all about whether I'm worth spending time with, whether I have worth as a human being. And it takes you away from the service being offered. So, so that's why we made in the ACS a, a clear distinction that when you lapse into social self, when professional self is more appropriate um, and, and of greater service to the client. Like some of the coaches, we had one coach, she, her sessions never ended on time. They would just go on and on and she would feel like, oh, uh, she would feel like she's at a dinner party uh, walking away from someone talking to her. Like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. So that's social. She feels like social self by saying uh, our session has only five more minutes in it. Uh, so um, she was suffering with uh, clients who would talk to her for two hours instead of one. I don't know what to do. So that is no professional self in existence right there. That's just socially, you know, you're at a party and you're signaling to your uh, partner, get me out of this conversation. And, uh, and so that's social self. That's like I'm behaving like I was at a dinner party instead of, no, I'm a professional coach and I have service. My time is valuable, a service worth offering we have an agreement to talk for an hour and so she had to learn over time um okay what can we when she would start with one of these clients and we have 60 minutes together today our session ends at the top of the hour and that's our agreement so let's make sure you bring in the things most important so we cover them and then when she would get near the end she'd say we have 10 minutes left. Um, what can, how can we use those 10 minutes in the best way? So she, would, she learned to um, re con, give it a different context for her clients. So her sessions ended on time and she was no longer suffering with, oh, this client went on for two hours and now I only have five minutes before my next client. So that's what we meant by professional self. S operating principles, they don't have to be real rigid or stodgy, or, but they are useful. And they actually are a service to the client. Has the client 
respect the, our time together, respect our agreements, don't keep canceling sessions with me, don't show up late, uh, little items like that. Yeah. But but sharing personal stories within that hour, that that's very professional if it's of good service to your client. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and, uh, mutual friend of ours, actually, and uh, somebody I know who worked with you, uh, Jason Goldberg, came up with a wonderful point there about um, you know sharing personal stories where it is in service of the client, <clears throat> excuse me, rather than, using a client to help you do your own healing of course and, uh, <laughs> not doing your own healing in public steve um just two two more questions actually on, on, on the time here as well so um yeah which one do i want to end on it doesn't matter okay so you um are there's going to be a form of retirement so that, uh, let's 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 clarify that because um you know, I had Steve retiring. What? what does that mean? There's going to be no more, no more of Steve in the in this professional world. Um, so, what what what's going to happen? What 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 is your retirement? What do you intend on your retirement looking like? Well, I'm the plan is uh, to give my full focus on books and writing, um, which is I've always longed to do that. And I've always had to fit my writing in be, in uh, between a full day of coaching and training and teaching. And um, that's one way to write books, and it, it worked for me. But I've never really um, given the act of writing a book the kind of attention a lot of full-time authors do. And I've always longed to see what would occur if I did that. So I will be retiring from active coaching. I won't have clients. And I have closed the ACS school. We had our last, uh, our last session uh, recently. And uh, I've put that all into an online program. So it's all there for people uh, that they can, they can have forevermore. So it's, uh, th that'll be put out there. But, um, yeah, I'm retiring from active teaching and, and coaching. That's what I'm retiring from. But I'm not retiring from this this world we're in, and I'll be writing books. Wonderful. And and also, just a thought occurs to me, that the power of books, that, like, um, one of my favorite books of yours, one, something, a book that helped me, because um, I have had, uh, not throughout my life, but at various times in my life, an unhealthy relationship with alcohol and used alcohol to escape. And there was a line that, or I don't know if it was a line, but okay, I'll just share what I got from, you know, a passage in the book Death Wish was this concept of borrowing from tomorrow. And it's like just that one idea was so impactful and it's kind of stopped me in my tracks because I, you know, we can see where we do that in other areas of our life as well. Just, okay, so so then it shifted my awareness in that okay if i want to do this be it have the drink or the donut or whatever you know do i want to borrow from tomorrow in this way so grateful for the opportunity thank you for that by the way um oh you're okay. welcome yeah so um and, I, and yeah so looking forward to more wonderful books from you gosh um you know i'd like to end on in your books by the way it's a perfect segue 
In your books, you dedicate them for Kathy at the front there. So I thought, wow, I would love to hear from you a little bit more about Kathy and how, what role has she played in what we see of Steve Chandler? Well, I could go on for a lot of hours about that. Love, support, partnership, um, keeping it light and fun, reminding me um, of the beauty of life in the moment, the beauty of the little things. Uh, and she has a, she sees things uh, like a Zen master during the day. She, she can stop and see a flower or a bird in a tree where I'm writing my next book or, <laughs> or thinking about tomorrow and planning my future and I, I don't see anything. And uh, that's been, been such a gift to me. And then absolute uh, support for what I do and a belief in me when I didn't believe in myself when we first met. And, um, and I could go on and on. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. but a kind of connection to the the beauty of everyday life. And um, when I met her, she uh, wasn't married and had never been married. And um, I'd been divorced, and I said, "You you've never been married, uh, and and you're living here, and uh, and." Um, she said her answer was uh why would i want to be when life is already perfect and uh and, and i i remember calling my best friend after she said that and he's he said do do not lose her you've lost a, since i've known you you've you've lost and ruined a lot of relationships don't do it this time you because I, what I saw was um, she doesn't try get her happiness from me. She brings her happiness, her happiness that's already there to me. Doesn't try to get it from me and try, you know, like going into marriage counseling and telling the counselor my needs aren't being met and all the stuff that people think their partner is to blame for them not feeling whole and complete there was none of that with her and so that uh, that's been a great gift to live with someone with that, that worldview beautiful and uh, listening to you you can see yeah we can see those aspects that have clearly have made their way through you too yeah you know that's, that's absolutely beautiful steve um like most could speak and listen to you for hours and uh fortunately what there is there's a whole bunch of um of you out there people can experience much of you without you being there that's a great tip for coaches as well um create content so that people can experience you without you being there um yes and yeah just I've heard you say this as well. Um, actually, I think you're referring to Steve Hardison, but I, I'm going to say the same thing to you that thank you feels pathetically small. <laughs> but that's all I've got. So thank you very much, Steve. It feels big to me. So I'm very grateful for you saying that. Thank you. 
And there we have it, another episode of the Coaching Life Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this one with the godfather of coaching himself, Steve Chandler. Episode 80, done. There you go. I'm not sure if there'll be another 80 episodes, who knows. But I do know that if you listen even to this one episode and put into practice what Steve has shared, those fundamental principles of building a coaching life and a coaching practice, you will build your prosperous coaching life, one of fun and joy. As always, I'd love to hear from you what you've got from this episode and how we use that in your coaching practice. Please get in touch and maybe we'll explore together how you can use what you've heard and anything else that will help you build your prosperous coaching life. If you've enjoyed this episode and other episodes, please take a couple of minutes to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference to help others find us. And if you do that, please let me know so I can thank you personally. And please do share these episodes, share these conversations, especially this one with Steve come on share it with your coaching friends and colleagues to help them get an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life okay that's enough from me until next time thank you very much for listening I wish you much love and joy